This is Stories of Win, where we showcase amazing women in neuroscience. We chat with them about their research, their unique journeys through academia, and what drives their passion for studying the brain. Here is one of their stories. Hello, everybody. This is Leslie Seibener, and I'm so excited to be talking with you today with Dr. Rudy Benya. Um, she is an assistant professor in the Department of Neuroscience at Columbia University, and I'm so excited to talk with her today about all of her fascinating research and her life in and out of the lab. Thank you so much, Rudy, for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, I'm really excited about doing this. <laughs> Excellent. So usually just right off the bat, we'll just have, um, have you describe your scientific trajectory uh, for the listeners and just hearing about your path in science so far. Sure. Um, so I think as more people than I used to think, my path to where I am right now was pretty nonlinear. Um, so I, um, started to uh, be interested in um, in science, um, you know, early on, like, you know, like most kids, I guess, I, I like to open things up and, you know, figure out, you know, what was inside. And I like just figuring out, um, kind of asking questions about how, how things work. But, you know, I think that's something that, you know, many kids have. It's just the curiosity of things. Um, in terms of my career, um, I was I was pretty uh, good at like math and things like that when I was in high school. And in France, so I, I grew up in France. Um, you have to choose your path very early on, which I think is a little difficult. Mm. Um, so uh, when you're like 15, you, you need to make uh, a choice between the different tracks. And so I chose this scientific track. And then most people after that end up doing, you know, uh, either going into medical school or going into uh, engineering school. So I um, I went into these uh, class préparatoire, which are the kind of uh, two to three years that you study really, really, really hard for mm -hmm. uh, an entrance exams for these uh, uh, écoles d'ingénieurs, uh, engineering school, or these uh, grandes écoles, which are kind of the very, you know, very good schools in France. Um, and so I did one year of this. So it was a concentration in math, physics, uh, and chemistry. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a bit of a nightmare, I have to say, oh. uh, very male dominated. Like, I think mm. there were maybe two, three, three women in a class of 40. Mm. It's really like work, work, work. You have no life. I was working until 1 a.m. every night and going to you know school, uh, you know, 8 a.m. the next day. And it wasn't a very kind of nurturing um, environment you know I think mm. here you have like um, office hours right when you go to you yeah there was like just figure it out on your own <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you also we didn't have the internet like we do now so it was everything was hard it was very difficult and um, and as much as I enjoyed math and I enjoyed all of this there was very little context for everything the way that it was taught um, mm -hmm. it was all about you know learning how to prove theorems and very fundamental with no link to like reality. And I think I needed that. Anyway, all this to say that I, I actually did pretty well. I ended up getting accepted to the second year. Like, you know, they rank everything all the time in France in these uh, kinds of places. And um, so I was going to go to the second year of this. And then the, the principal 
the kind of the equivalent of principal came into the class to give us a kind of a, a pep talk, I guess, at the start of the mm. school year. And basically was saying, you are the elite of France. And, and I just, I was looking around me and I was listening to this and I was like, I just can't, I just can't do this again one year. I just, it just, it didn't feel like I belonged in this system. Mm. So I took off, <laughs> I went to my mom. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, which, which kind of was a big deal. Cause it's, it's one of those tracks that, you know, you know that you're going to have a job, you know, you're going to have a stable career. And so I, probably the first time in my life that I was like no I'm gonna decide for myself what I'm gonna do and I ended up going back to like regular university uh, mm -hmm. there um, starting basically over again sort of with some like night classes in biology and I that is because I think one of my teachers in high school really got me onto you know kind of thinking about biological systems and I thought that was really fascinating mm -hmm. so I kind of started a little bit from scratch there and somehow, after a couple of years, I ended up back in in grandes écoles because they also recruit outside of the proper track. Mm -hmm. So you know, I, and there it was really wonderful because um, it was when um, academics were coming. You know, PIs would come and tell us about their work, and that mm -hmm. was our classes, and we had to just listen to them and understand what they were doing and that was the way that we were supposed to learn and that was really wonderful and so then I started doing um, working in labs and I found a lab that I liked working on um, RAB GTPases so I was mm. I majored in cell biology and molecular biology so I'm probably one of many assistant professors in neuroscience has never sat through a neurobiology class in my life and at that time, I really was interested in uh, genetic tools. It was kind of the start of um, GMOs in general. And I was really interested in kind of um, how people modify crops. And mm -hmm. I, was, I had an interest in plant biology. I, I've, I've always been interested in many things. It's, yeah, yeah. So it's maybe one of the the hallmarks of my my path, right? And yeah, so, so then interested in so many things, how did it kind of, funnel like, into neuroscience eventually absolutely yes it was, <laughs> I think it's all by I, I, you know you you kind of when you're in the middle of this you just choose and you don't really know why and mm -hmm. how and when you look back you start kind of understanding I think for me it was really a couple of things one was geographic location and people mm -hmm. <laughs> um so I so I was in a lab in France I was supposed to basically do my thesis work there but then I was reading papers from this lab in England, in Cambridge, was doing really cool work, I thought. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should not do my PhD in France. Maybe I should move. And um, during my childhood, I had moved quite a bit uh, because mm. of my mom's job. I, I lived in Mexico. I lived uh, in Bethesda. Uh, mm, I lived mm -hmm. in... And my family is from Iran and my whole family lives kind of everywhere in the world. And to me, kind mm -hmm. of staying in Paris and following this path didn't seem right to me. So mm -hmm. I ended up in Cambridge doing a PhD in cell and molecular biology, mm. working on yeast membrane traffic. So figuring out oh. how <laughs> vesicles get targeted to different parts of the cell. And that was a very wonderful experience. Um, I, uh, my lab was very very nice, uh, very different from uh, the kinds of uh, environments that had, that I had been in in France. And, um, but then at the mm. end of my piece, How was, just so, I'm just curious, please. how was the environment different? I think 
um, British versus French culture is very different and that transpires, I think, in the labs. Um, I felt, you know, the, I, I really don't want to go into like cliches because that's not, <laughs> but you know, cliches are not cliches for nothing, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, there was this, and maybe also living in Cambridge, it was a small town that always lived in a big town. It was kind of, it was, it was simple. Things were simple. Mm -hmm. uh, interactions at work were very, there was a lot of respect. I still, I'm very fond of England for some of these reasons. There are other bad things as well about, you know, <laughs> but there was, there, there was this kind of ease of living that was partly due to England, partly due to my lab. My mm -hmm. mentor was just a lovely, wonderful person. He still is, <laughs> sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and the interactions I think are different, um, but maybe it was like my particular experience, but, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was very international. Mm. Uh, uh, which might be a little bit less in the labs that I had been in France, in Paris. So I think I really enjoyed that because I, I come from a more international background. So I kind of felt like right. as much as I didn't fit into this whole, you're the elite of France and you're two right. women, 40, you know, a class of 40 men. And I was like, what do you mean I'm the elite of France? That makes no sense to me. And then I ended <laughs> up in a lab with, with a very kind of culturally pretty diverse place mm. with people from many different parts of Europe at least with mm -hmm. um kind of an ease of with people that would listen to you that you know I, I don't know it was it kind of felt like home to me and I really enjoyed oh, yeah. that it was yeah. really wonderful who doesn't love feeling like they're at home yeah no, really, <laughs> that's the best absolutely but it's not so easy it's you know it can, no. it can be hard yeah yeah and it's so particular for each individual for sure absolutely yes and at the end of my PhD you know, I was never sure that this is what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. You know, my friends always joked, oh, you want to become an architect and the next day you want to do this. And the, I was like, well, I don't know. I just, that's just the way I feel. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. And so what I wanted to do, I wasn't ready to change careers, but I wanted to challenge myself, I think. Mm. Um, so I ended up wanting, so I completely changed fields. Uh, I, yeah. I also was, you know, you know, there's, in every field, there's like times where there's growth and times where there's things become about kind of figuring out this, the, 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 the small questions. And I felt, mm -hmm. you know, my, not everybody would agree, but for me, the, the, the field of membrane traffic at that point had kind of figured out the basic principles mm -hmm. and then it was about refining them. And so to mm. me, that wasn't, I mean, it, it just wasn't exciting anymore. And so mm -hmm. I also had no, no good idea of what else to do because, you mm -hmm. know, when you're in a graduate program, you know, you're just, you just focus on your work, you focus on your lab, you're focused maybe on the, the types of talks that come to your department. So I, I was in the cell biology department, so I didn't have that much exposure. So mm -hmm. what I did to find other, um, you know, what to do next was just to talk to people around me. And be like, who do you think is doing, you know, really groundbreaking work? And that's also really nice to work with. <laughs> mm -hmm, yes. Um, uh, and so a few names came up. One of them came up very often, which where is I, where I ended up, the, the uh, Claude Desplon, who was my um, mentor for uh, my postdoc. And so I interviewed in a prion lab, a glia lab, mm. <laughs> a, a neuroscience a, development lab uh, everything mm -hmm. in on on the east coast of the u.s i kind of knew that i wanted to maybe experience um 
you know, this life. Right. Because um, you but, hadn't lived in the US at that point, right? I had lived one year in Bethesda when I was like right. 13, but that okay. just doesn't really count, <laughs> I think. <laughs> because of my age and because it was Bethesda. Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so then I I interviewed and the way that I chose again was not. I think all the labs that I went to, you know, the work seemed fascinating. The people seemed really great. It seemed like I could probably do something interesting in all of them. And then at some point you need to choose. And I think what, why I chose Quotes Lab, I think, because I attended a lab meeting during my visit mm-hmm. and it was pretty, it was like chaos, uh, but mm. chaos in a good way. Everybody okay. was talking over each other. Everybody had an opinion and every voice was heard. And I was like, this is the kind of environment that I want to be in. Mm. And so I chose, and also New York um, was also very attractive to me. And so then mm-hmm. I ended up there and I ended up, and that was also risky in the sense that I wanted to do function. So it was, it was right at the time, actually, as, as uh, Richard Axel's lab mm-hmm. was starting to do these like um, in vivo uh, imaging of activity in the sensory periphery like the first gcamp experiments on like you know mm. like a, a decapitated flies i think i was it was at that point <laughs> uh-huh. and and i had read about this and i was like oh this sounds really you know interesting and so i wanted to do functional work in the visual system of the fly in close mm. that was like what i wanted to do but okay. uh the Displan lab was mostly a developmental lab not mostly it was almost purely a developmental lab so they were mm. very good at understanding kind of cell fate specification in the eye Um, and so the idea for me was to use all the tools the genetic tools and all the knowledge of how of the anatomy and of how things are specified to then get into the function Mm -hmm. I think I was very naive at that point because I didn't know anything about flies I didn't know anything (laughs) about neuroscience I was like I'm just gonna go do it (laughs) and it wasn't easy (laughs) so I learned flies but then it turned out that um, you know, learning neuroscience in the development lab is not easy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to the Center for Neuroscience at NYU, uh, mm-hmm. which so my lab was at NYU, but it was in the biology department. I ended up in the Center for Neuroscience in um, Adam Carter's lab, who was doing prefrontal cortex um, studies on the mouse um, to learn techniques, to learn, to learn. Uh, and I learned a lot there. I learned how mm-hmm. uh, we we, we built a two-photon microscope. I learned about optics. I learned how to patch neurons. I learned about uh, neuroscience. And then after a couple of years, then I went back to Claude's lab and started my actual um, project then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I got no data. I think I had no proper data during my postdoc, like year five, <laughs> which was a little wow. bit stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about giving up many times. I almost mm. did many times. But then I stuck with it because I'm a little stubborn, I think. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then things started taking shape. And even, even at the end of it, I wasn't so sure that this is what I wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's nice to say it out loud. And now I've, I've started to say it more and more out loud. Um, I used to not talk about it very much because, you know, there's mm-hmm. always this idea that you should be, you should have had a path or this is what you should have wanted to do with your whole life. But it turns out that the more you talk to people, the more that's not the case, right? And I think yeah, it's good to absolutely. talk about it. I was going to all of the, what can you do with your PhD, everything. 
Oh yeah, I have been to those. I continue to go to those. <laughs> good to go. It's great to see the kind of everything that you can do. And then I got very lucky. I think the the project turned out to you know to, to work itself out, I guess. And and my postdoc was very long. It was about eight years. Mm. And so I got I got a really good paper at the end, which really helped me get my position. And you know, and then I got I I I applied again. I didn't apply everywhere. I knew that there's other there were other things in life than this so um I wanted to either be in the U.S. and in New York only so Mm -hmm. I only applied in New York or go back to Europe Mm -hmm. so I had to figure out also you know where to end up and then I I I got this position at Columbia and so I just I just took it and I'm Mm -hmm. really very happy that I took it (laughs) yeah yes We had this joke during my postdoc, uh, I mean, not the joke, we used to ask each other, you know, if you, if you won the lottery, what would you do? You know, what, what would you change with your life? Right. And during my postdoc, I was like, I would quit my job tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did not like being a postdoc very much. Um, mm. And we can talk about why that is. And if you ask me now, I, I wouldn't give it up for anything. So wow. um but you just don't know them. You don't know what it is to run a lab. You don't know what it's like. So it's very hard to make all these decisions, I think. And that's maybe why paths are not linear. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you touched on it. The path that you just described had many turns and questions and hesitations, but ultimately you are here now. And I guess I'm curious in those moments of struggle or um, uncertainty. How did you get through those? What were the things that maybe made you keep going forward or keep keep coming back to to science? Yeah, um, I think there. You know, there's obviously multiple factors. I think there was one part of it was finding outlets um, where mm-hmm. I could go to when everything else was not working so Mm -hmm. I started doing pottery when I was in Cambridge Mm. um and you know if if you you should come to to my office you will see us it just it's it's something that whenever nothing was working I would just spend a few hours in the studio and it was kind of my self-care and that really Mm -hmm. that really helped me because there was always something to go back to and what I liked about pottery is like, it's very like tangible. Like you, you, you're making yeah. something, there's, there's a product at the end. It's not like patching for like two weeks and not getting one cell. There was this kind of, <laughs> it kind of balanced that. I was like, oh, look, I can make a pot. And it kind of looks like what I was expecting it to look like. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, absolutely. That immediate gratification. It's like, I've made this. This is real. It's in my hands. <laughs> exactly. And so I think, and then I I, I met people through that, uh, which for many different reasons. So that was one thing that saved me. The other, I think that I, for a reason that, you know, might be more personal, I I was never too worried about you know, success or not, like, I, I kind of had a, I had a deep feeling that something was going to work out. And I, you know, and I don't know where that came from, you know, you can go back to my, <laughs> my upbringing, but I, I never put like, it, it was never this or nothing. Mm-hmm. I think if you if, and maybe that was one of my strengths is like, you know, if it didn't work out, sure, I wasn't happy, I was probably, you know, um, it wasn't like, oh, then, then, then the world is gonna explode because you know I just don't know what else to do. I didn't quite know, but I've kind of 
had this deep feeling that I wouldn't know that I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? And I think yes, that's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that's why the risks that I took make sense. Because if mm-hmm. I didn't have that, I would have probably chosen the more kind of linear path. So, you know, this works, let's just do more of this, let's just do more of this and not change always. But mm-hmm. I also get bored. And I think that goes back to why I think I didn't like being a postdoc. It mm-hmm. was one project, one question, the experiments and oh, and it was very small, you know, and and it's just not like my the way that I think doesn't doesn't fit with this. Whereas mm-hmm. when you're running your lab, it is not like this at all. You know, mm-hmm. I, I probably overextend myself, but that's, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you get to think about many different problems. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you're stuck somewhere, you can, you know, you can think about some, some other problem. And if it's, to, to me, it's much richer um, also. The other thing was, if we're still, so are we still think talking? I, I guess I'm just talking all over the place. No, no, I love to get into any direction that you desire. So definitely talking about like challenges and yeah. So those challenges, yeah. I think yeah, I think one of the challenges, yes. Uh, again, to contrast, like postdoc life with my uh, you know PI life, um, mm-hmm. it was a it's it's being a postdoc can be very lonely. You know, at least in my case, in my case, it was um, extreme because since I was the only one doing functional neuroscience in a development lab, mm. it, it just was as lonely as it can get. Right. I was surrounded by many postdocs and many friends. And in that sense, it wasn't lonely. But in terms of mm-hmm. um, intellectual kind of input and the way that I was thinking about my science, it just felt very lonely. And so that was very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's changed so much, both because I have my whole lab that I, I, I love talking to my lab about everything. And I think mm-hmm. the, the culture that we have in the lab is, you know, this kind of open communication. And I get, I get to talk to all my students, you know, all day we have Slack going constantly <laughs> a little too much. And I have all my colleagues also here that think about similar things. And um, one mm-hmm. of the things that's really changed my lab is uh, the collaborations that we have with the theory center here, which mm-hmm. I'm doing things that I would never have dreamed that I would do. And I think that's what I think excites me. It's like, things that are new, things I don't know nothing about. That's what I want to do. I don't want to do things that I know. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear more about what your lab is doing now and and about some of those collaborations. (laughs) Yeah, so um, my lab is really interested in sensory representation, I guess. Like if I I were to kind of put a one one expression on, on this. So it's like trying to understand how we build an internal representation of the world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we want, so we focus on vision mm-hmm. um, and vision is particularly nice, I think, for, you know, a few reasons, you know, we as humans are very like visual animals. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some kind of understanding uh, when we talk about, you know, of, of contrast, intensity, hue, it's something that we can understand, right? And it's also light is very easy to measure as opposed to other senses, uh, mm-hmm. others stimuli. So there's, there's that. Um, and so we're trying to understand, for example, um, you know, how different uh, uh, neural circuits in the brain can extract specific features of our visual scene. You know, our, 
our eyes don't act as cameras, right? They don't, mm-hmm. they don't just uh, uh, reconstruct things at each point in space. We basically make multiple images of the visual scene that extract each specific feature, say. So, you know, mm. um, contours or motion or a color or, you know, all of these things then get integrated to just give rise to behavior. And, and we're looking at things very peripherally. We're trying to understand how small circuits can extract, for example, the direction of motion. Mm-hmm. So these are very old questions, but yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, but we do this. So we, we work with flies and I mean, I'm complete. I, I love flies. I think they're like the best model system in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, uh, cause they're like the right level of complexity. At least, I mean, they're the best model system for me. I wouldn't right. say right. It's what right. it's exactly the kind the the tools that it provides me mm-hmm. are exactly what I need for the level of understanding that I want to have. So that mm-hmm. will be different from for different people, right? Like I want to have a pretty um, descriptive um, idea of of how few neurons can work together in concert to give rise to this kind of you know one representation. So. And I want to kind of have a description of the computation. So, you know, being able to like write a mathematical uh, equation that says, this is, if you give inputs, this is your output, how would you get there? But at the same time, so that, that you can do in different, different animals. But um, we also want to have kind of an implementation. I want to be able to say, you know, these neurons are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think flies are really wonderful for this because, um, we have an almost complete connectome of the fly brain. And mm-hmm. so what we, for every circuit, we know the detail of all the connectivity. Uh, we can, um, we know, or, or we can uh, extract some, like strength um, information. So we have kind of a, a map and we have computations and now we can try to put them together. And so mm-hmm. it's really, we can have models of circuits that really, if you give the input, you understand what's going on and it gives you the output. So it's, it's mm-hmm. not treating anything like a black box. And I think that's, mm. that's what I like about this. And yeah. it's really like teasing things apart and really um, understanding what's going on. So sensory representation is like a theme for my lab and recently and so one of the reasons why we collaborate with theorists is yes because I want to build these models I don't know how to do this and I I was right. not trained to do this and I think these days when you do anything and especially the kinds of work that that we do in neuroscience you just need to have to, to have so many skills basically and so oh yeah for sure and so you know, I don't know all of this, but we have people in, in, at, at the Zuckerman Institute that, you know, that's what, that's what they do. And so we've started doing, having collaborations with uh, people at the theory center that really help us build these models. And, and I like um, the kind of the learning from models and then building experiments, asking the questions. And it really, it's like a hypothesis. It's like the hypotheses are driven often by the connectome, the analysis of the connectome and the models that that we have and so it's kind of a a very nice process and and I think I like it because I like collaborative work and you know if you kind of one of the threads in my career is like I I don't like working alone 
<laughs> right. Right. Um, and and I think because again, I you know I I I joke with my students because I tell them that if we only did what I knew how to do, we wouldn't do very much. <laughs> But it's true, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. It's, um, oh, sure. And so, and so, these collaborations have really expanded the things that we do in my lab. And through those, I've ended up working on more central processes, so more like cognitive mm. type of processes, such as um, learning, navigation. So we're just starting now some of uh, projects looking at how sensory information. Um, so what, like, what is the form that sensory information should have mm-hmm. to support specific cognitive processes? So the kinds of representation that you need for learning are not the same kind of representation that you need for like navigation. There's, mm-hmm. there are things that you expect from theory, and then we can go back there and see if in the brain it works the way that we expect. And often it does in some ways and not in other ways. So then we mm-hmm. learn and we refine our models. And I think it's um, it's really interesting. So we work on color vision a lot in my lab mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to understand how spectral information can be used um, for uh, navigation, how it can be used for uh, multi-sensory learning, how maybe you can even use to entrain our clocks or, mm. um, and I love the idea of how flexible these representations have to be. I think it's very inherently interesting that the representation of our, of our visual world, what we need of them is not the same in different, you know, internal mm-hmm. states, uh, environmental states. Uh, behavioral states and what the brain does often right like at least the eye does is to like basically trash a lot of information that's superfluous right right but what you trash what you want to trash is different in different conditions and how how do circuits deal with that right Mm, mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. we work on neuromodulation and adaptation at the level of these circuits um so yeah globally that's what we do that's great and so then actually for the experimental setups that you use to tackle these bigger questions do you continue to use that um, that functional imaging that you had started learning in your postdoc and and now is that applied in in different ways or do you use that in addition to other techniques yeah yeah so what's funny is that so I wrote my uh, postdoc grants on doing gcam imaging of the fly brain you know downstream of uh, cone-like photoreceptors uh, in flies. And uh, it turned out that, you know, not having a two-photon was a bit of an issue with doing this. So mm-hmm. what happened <laughs> is that I actually learned how to patch. So I, I learned to do wholesale um, patch clamp recording. So my postdoc was patching. I patched. Mm. I learned how to do imaging in, in the Center for Neural Science, which was really important for what I what I when I started my own lab but most of what I did during my postdoc was patching and then in mm-hmm. my own lab we do both patching and um, in vivo imaging mm-hmm. um, and patching is very hard <laughs> yes <laughs> I feel uh, like that's one of those techniques in neuroscientists where it's like oh the people who patch like that's that's intense <laughs> yeah especially fly cells which are you know tiny 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 um and so because it's hard and because I see my you know I struggled a lot 
uh, during my postdoc, you know, getting the, you know, getting the cells. And then you have some weeks that are great. You get a lot of, a lot of amazing data. And for weeks you don't get anything. It's kind of, it's soul crushing sometimes, but now that I see my students going through all of this, I kind of don't, I, I, I don't want them to go through all of this. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to, right? There's some experiments that you have to do, but as imaging techniques get better and better, I think it makes sense for a lot of these questions to be asked uh, mm-hmm. doing imaging. The problem with the questions that I had during my postdoc was they were very much dependent on the temporal properties of the cells. And as yeah. you know, we know the you know imaging techniques that rely on calcium uh, sensors uh, have, you know, are just the temporal properties are not good enough. So for, for right. the questions that I answered, we, I needed to patch. But now that we work on spectral information, mm-hmm. when the temporal aspect of things isn't so important, and the questions that we ask are more about representation, imaging has been a wonderful tool for us mm-hmm. to get a lot of data. And I think it's motivating for my students as well. I think the, um, in addition to the type of experiment that you just choose to do in a lab. At the end, and it's, um, I don't know, it's just hard. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is a great segue. I seemingly dictates how you're going to feel sometimes. I'm curious as now a head of a lab and you kind of have this new role as mentor, how you've approached that since since starting your new position or it's not very new, but since starting your lab. It feels still pretty new. Um, (laughs) So how, how, how did I approach what exactly? Um, I think, I think starting your own lab and mentorship. And so this is kind of this role that you really, uh, from how, what I understand, there isn't really a lot of formal training when you're a postdoc about mentorship. And so I'm curious how you've approach that and how maybe that has also evolved over the past few years as you're like learning in real time. Yeah. So I, I had never mentored anybody (laughs) before starting my position, not even Mm -hmm. me. No, I might've mentored maybe an undergrad or two when when I was a postdoc. It's just not the same in any case. And it's true. It's one of the crazy things about the career paths of um, scientists, but I think it's true in other it is true often, right? That you start uh, by learning how to do things. And then as you get better at it, then you learn how to manage other people doing those things. I don't think that's so specific of academia, but I think Mm -hmm. it's enhanced in, you know, in, in what we do, you need to be technically very good for a lot of the things that you do when you're a PhD student and a postdoc. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't touched anything in the lab for the past, uh, you know, five years. Right. Um, and the skills that I need now are completely different from the skills that I needed before. Mm-hmm. And so just thinking about all this, also understanding new principles, all of this, I think, is, mm-hmm. is really wonderful. But I think the relationships I have in, in my lab, the place that I'm building, hopefully with some intention and uh, how my students are doing. And I think that that is really what what makes me the happiest to just see them, you know, do well, see them, you know, go, go up and down in their, in their path, being there with them and trying Mm -hmm. to kind of guide them as much as I can. Um, I think that just, just because I love it so much, I think it's shaped how I do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things for me has been 
learning from, you know, what has worked or has not worked with my own mentors. I think that's what. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I as hard as my postdoc was because it was long and because um, I was clueless a lot of the time at the start, um, my postdoc mentor trusted me completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives you a lot of strength. Mm. And I trust my students completely. I just, mm. that's kind of the baseline. I'm not there to, you know, it's not to question everything that they're doing. Also, what my PhD mentor taught me, I think, was, you know, everybody in the lab was treated the same way. I think there's no hierarchy so much. It was a small lab. I think it helps in a small lab to be able to do this you know, postdocs, graduate students, technicians, me, I think we're, we're all learning together mm-hmm. and we really mm-hmm. are. And so that comes across, I think, in the relationships and it's nothing that I try to do consciously. It's more, you know, when people ask me these questions, I'm like, oh, so what it is about the way that our <laughs> lab works that I think makes it a nice place to be. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think there's a lot about trust and um, having a very flat structure um also I don't micromanage at at all um because mm-hmm. I've I've had micromanagers and I, it's probably the thing that I hate the most because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it drives and like and I want people to do what they love whenever somebody comes mm-hmm. to the lab I never tell them do this do that sometimes mm-hmm. of course you know we have maybe a paper that we need to write and you 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 need this one figure and maybe I'll ask somebody, can you just start what you're doing, try to get this data? I think, but that's, that's for a specific purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is different. And I think the trust is there already so that nobody, it just, I, I, I feel like I want the lab to all work towards a single goal. And I think we've managed this and we help each other. There's a lot of collaborations going between people in the lab with other people mm-hmm. in different labs. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I just want them not to have a terrible time. I want them to enjoy this. <laughs> you know what I, I mean, it's, maybe it's a silly thing to say, but I, I want them to be happy. Like, yeah, of course, work no, hard. happiness. Yeah, that is definitely something that it's good to just say that out loud also because I think sometimes when when there are situations where you're very you can become very distant from people in your lab and and not know if they're having a difficult time or not and it seems like you're you're making sure to to try and help them be as happy as they can be I try exactly then you know you don't always succeed and I think what I've learned also is a choosing you know, not, not everybody is, is, is a fit in my lab. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And I think, you know, and you don't always manage and, but I need people in my lab to be pretty independent. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I'm not good at telling people what to do. I Mm -hmm. I don't like it. So it just, it does um, select for specific types of people and and not mm-hmm. other types not good or bad right it's just how you want to do how you want to be every day in the lab right so when when I say trust you know trust and responsibility come hand in hand right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust people but you know they're the ones that are going to be responsible for um, kind of driving things and if they need me 
I'll be always there, right? To mm-hmm, put them in mm-hmm. touch with people, to figure things out with them. Yeah, so I, I think it, it's selected for people that are very driven in a good way, right? In a, and that want this independence and that want um, this kind of environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Because so, I think mentorship is, is you know, there's not one, one way to do it. And, and I try to adapt to different personalities in my lab because and even different times in their life right Mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. you need somebody to sit down and be like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes you need to just step away and let them do their thing even if it's the same person so you Mm -hmm. just I think knowing the people in your lab as much as you can Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but also leaving them their space I, I you know I don't it's it's kind of a balance to be found, I think. And I and I don't always get it right, obviously, but I I try. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of of balance, I'm curious about how just for yourself when you have so many things going on, just managing a lab, and also you are a complete and whole person when you step outside of this building as well. Um, how how do you actually manage to just balance being a whole human being in and out of the lab yeah I think this is again this is something that changes with different periods of one's life Mm -hmm. Um, you know when you when you start a lab for example I was working weekends all the time but I was just so excited about building what I was doing and it turned out that in my personal life that was it worked out with what was going on outside mm-hmm. uh, of, of the lab. But then, you know, I, I, I have a daughter now, she's two and a half. Mm. Um, I need, I want to have time for her. Uh, there's a, there's a much clearer separation now between mm-hmm. work and uh, home. And I need that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes you have deadlines, you work more, but she, you know, my family life is very important to me. And, mm-hmm. and I think it just gives me balance as well. So again, it's, um, it's just being flexible, I think, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. is what matters. Um, and knowing what your priorities are at every time, which can change, the priorities don't always have to be the same, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of having having an idea of this, even though it's, it's hard. Cause I say this and I talk about this, but in the moment, it's not all very well articulated. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you kind of understand later what you did to cope or what you did to make something happen. And it's, mm-hmm. it's not so easy to be so intentional, I think. Um, right. Right. And then I think usually at the end, we like to have just a little fun, random, not really science related question. So uh, I'll give you two and you can choose which one is more fun for you. So one is how do you usually start your day when you wake up in the morning? Or uh, what is your favorite weekend activity? (laughs) Um, I mean, how I start my day is pretty boring. So I won't do that one. So my favorite weekend activity, I have so many favorite weekend activities. It's hard Talk about all of them. Um, <laughs> I love spending time with my daughter. I love pottery. I think, again, it kind of goes back to, you know, drawing pottery, some of kind of the more um, artistic, I guess, parts of my life um, mm-hmm. have really grounded me. And that is something that I love 
love doing. Um, mm-hmm. I love also spending time with friends, even though things have been a little bit hard with COVID lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I guess these are all very boring questions. I'm a, sorry, boring answers. I'm, I, I have a very boring life outside of the lab. <laughs> I just do the, do you know, I just, um, yeah, I'm with my family, my friends and my, my kind of art, I guess. This is yeah. what, it really like the outside grounds grounds me a lot and it, and it mm-hmm. helps me have a lot of strength to do what's going mm-hmm. on and I think it goes both ways as well you know what I do in the lab really gives me a lot of energy and I go back home to my daughter you know feeling like I've done something that's useful I hope and mm-hmm. um and it and it also balances the you know I could not just take care of my daughter I I, I don't think that would be for me at least so I think balancing those two things and finding the right balance is hard. And sometimes I manage, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I, mm-hmm. I bring my stress home. Sometimes I, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Yes, absolutely. And actually, I realized there was one more question that I wanted Please. to ask you. Um, that was for an aspiring scientist, maybe specifically neuroscientist, what, what would be the advice that you would give them? <sighs> <laughs> an aspiring scientist what would be the advice I would give them learn to code <laughs> no that's boring no um I would say you know just just don't try to mold yourself on somebody else's path you know I was worried that you were going to ask me like who was your role model I don't have a role model but not in I have many different role models and many for many different reasons Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love that answer. And so I think, <laughs> so I think it's, there's this tendency I had, and maybe, you know, when, when I answer these types of questions, I think about what I did that, you know, I, I thought that there was um, a way to be a scientist and, and, you know, there was like, and I think it's, there's still this idea a little bit, but I think this is getting better. And I think mm-hmm. the work that you're doing here, for example, with these, uh, with this podcast I think it's helping a lot um kind of open up the conversation and and really normalize just being a person mm-hmm. in your at, at the same time as your scientist that it doesn't have to be one or the other and your idea of what a scientist should be if you have one should just be thrown in the bin and just like recreate it from scratch Um, Mm -hmm. in some Mm -hmm. ways I mean of course you can learn from other people's experience I'm not saying not but I think the more I think you'll have more fun you'll have more impact and um you won't do anything for anybody else and just not trying to please other people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I was probably uh, uh, doing this quite a bit more than I would have liked early on but I think also with age comes more confidence so I know it's not easy to say that Mm-hmm. somebody that's 20 some you know I'm 42 years old now I've, I've I've gone through all of this and I'm still going through it but I think with age also comes a bit more confidence and um, mm-hmm. understanding and also yeah does that does that make sense yes no that makes that makes a ton of sense I think that it's very difficult to find everything that you admire and aspire to be in like a single person that doesn't exist so then you need to become that person yourself 
Yes. And also, I guess one thing that I would say that I still say to people is like, just surround yourself with people that support you because mm -hmm. there's always going to be noise. There's always going to be, you know, people have judgment, people are, and just if, if you listen to those things too much, then, then you get distracted. And mm -hmm. I think for me, finding a community, a scientific community has made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, it really, it, you know, people that are not just there to tell you that you're doing well, right? That tell you you're doing this wrong. That's totally fine. But that that there's a just a way of being uh, that that might not, you know, it's different. People need different things again. Mm -hmm. But just mm -hmm. finding what you need um, to me has made a huge difference. Mm. Yeah, and right. and I think you can do that at different parts of your, you know, at different stages of your career. Yeah, yeah. You definitely need different things at different points in your life. That's 100% true. But it's not ingrained in the structure of the system. That's the problem. Oh, no. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> and hopefully it will be more. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. You know that I'm trying to make some change happen here. And there's just like, these are the small things that I can try to do now, um, you know, that I've, that my lab is working. I think it's, you know, that spending a little bit more time trying to change the institutions, which is a tall, tall order. I think it's something mm -hmm. that also is part of what I'm doing now um, mm -hmm. in a small, in small, in small ways, but that also is important to me. And, mm -hmm. and it's again, part of what I like about my, my job. I feel like I'm so privileged to be paid to do what I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really am. <laughs> Would you like to talk at all about, those small ways that you're trying to shift the norms or we also don't need to talk about that yeah I, don't, I think <laughs> I'm not there yet but I That's think fine. <laughs> I just wanted to I just did want to mention because you know I'm kind of thinking about this interview I was trying to think of you know what what is it that I really like about my job now and I think it wouldn't that is also part of what I like, even though I haven't figured out exactly what my role is and what I can do. I think there's change that you can make at a kind of small level, um, you know, with your mentees and with mm -hmm. the people around you. I'm, I'm hoping that I have a, a good influence on their life and on mm -hmm. the way that they experience science and, you know, academia. But then it's, you know, how can you do that? And also maybe something more because um, maybe that's not enough, but I'm, I'm still figuring that one out. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me and sharing so much about your life and your research. It was really a pleasure to hear about everything. <laughs>